The Isle of Man Electoral Commission recently published its report which makes recommendations to Tynwald in relation to House of Keys constituency boundaries. The report is due to be debated in March, so do Commission members Sally Bolton and Nigel Davis expect trouble in the debate? Well, from the feedback we've had, there are certain members, I think, that have publicly stated that they're not in favour of it. Um, however, um, I think that the when the first report, which, as you'll probably remember, was uh, was the process was done between 2011 and 2013, that wasn't smooth either. But um, I think Tinwell did uh, agree that the principles were more important um, to apply than the individual um, effects. So hopefully the same uh, attitude will prevail and um, that Tinwald will accept and agree with us that the principles should be upheld, uh, the principles that we identified at the first boundary review committee, uh, which was print mainly uh, the principles of equality and equivalency so that the uh, voting power of every individual on the island was um, roughly equal and equivalent to each other. And and Nigel, I mean, your remit, it's quite specific, isn't it? Um, Well, there's two parts to the the, um, remit that we had. One was about the number and boundaries of the constituencies, um, number of seats uh, per constituencies, those were the key uh, reporting uh, subjects. But we also had a second part, uh, which is more uh, uh, general, uh, but including accessibility, which we think is extremely important, um, which I, I think we'll talk about uh, in more detail. Different types of voting, which already exist, po- postal and proxy voting procedures, uh, the ability to vote at any uh, polling station across the constituency, um, and the feasibility of setting up a, a central or central regional um, vote polling st- stations that anyone from across the island could vote on, uh, organisation of pre-election meetings, as well as candidate campaign material. So core uh, reporting about boundaries and size, uh, but also a, a plethora of other uh, topics around uh, the processes of uh, elections. And so much now is done online. One of your recommendations suggests that Perhaps we could look a little bit closer at the potential for voting online. Um, yes, that was an area that that actually Nigel was looking at specifically. He's got quite a, a much more technical background than I have. Um, but what we discovered was while it would be lovely, um, and as a re- deputy returning officer, I would agree it would be great if you could do everything on from your phone online. Um, and not even have to bother to go into a, a, a polling station. But unfortunately, um, from our assessments around the world, it's much more complicated than that. And the most important part is to uh, enable the population to have trust and in, in the integrity of the systems. And to this end, we've looked at different parts, which we see as maybe building blocks, which might make it a bit easier to administer and deal with the 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 day-to-day part parts of the um, election which the public and the candidates probably don't really see um, such as the post part the operation of the postal voting system that sort of thing so uh, as I say Nigel did a lot of research um, perhaps 
your listeners so, so, might be interested in hearing some of that. Certainly, um, certainly. I mean, Nigel, the, the presumably the, this this whole trust thing is this a generational thing whereby people who have been brought up using uh, every or doing everything online are, are you trust the system, whereas the older generation are much more cautious. Yeah, potentially. I mean, obviously. Um, uh, online voting certainly is under the re- under the kind of remit of accessibility or subject of accessibility. As we know from the previous general election in 2021, youth turnout was at around 46%, which is lower than the total turnout. So there is an opportunity to attract certain groups of people who are less inclined to vote through online voting. And obviously, as Sally mentioned, you, if you can vote from your sofa at home, it makes it much easier for people to do that. There are a lot of benefits for online voting. Uh, it can widen participation. Uh, time poor people can can vote from home, as I said, um, and 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 you know we can we can get bigger bigger engagement in the process from certain uh, uh, certain groups of people. But there are and so there are lots of benefits, but there are also concerns, and that's what came out in our our work as a commission. Um, one is security. Obviously, people are concerned about can someone uh, influence from outside uh, the result of an election Um, uh, for one. Then there's trust in the system, as Sally said. Uh, There's an example from Netherlands from 2007, and they were using e-voting machines placed in polling stations. So it's a bit different from online voting. And as a result of two parliamentary uh, commission or committees investigating this, uh, which heavily criticised the management of the e-voting technology, they abandoned it entirely and went straight back to paper vo- paper voting. So it, there is a real uh, importance around uh, security and transparency, gaining acceptance of all stakeholders, not just the voters, but also the candidates, to believe that this is actually going to get a true and fair result. And, and there should be some sort of accreditation process, audit process, that can be published so people can make an informed decision whether this platform can deliver a free and fair election. And in terms of the uh, the potential success of online voting, is there any uh, place in the world which is using yeah. it now successfully? Uh, a lot of countries are using uh, online voting to varying degrees. Um, for instance, in France, military personnel who are abroad during the time of the uh, general election can vote online. Some states in Australia allow certain groups of people to vote online. So it is used, but there's only one example there where it is used uh, for parliamentary elections, and that's Estonia. Um, they have built uh, almost their entire interaction between the public and uh, parliament as an online process. Voting is just another part of that online interaction with, with government. Um, they started parliamentary elections online voting in 2007 for the first time. Uh, at that election, only 5.5% of the votes cast uh, actually went through online process. Uh, in 2019, the last general election they had, uh, over 43% of all votes cast went through online. So they've been remarkably successful. Um, but I have to stress that uh, in order to um, duplicate a system like that anywhere, including the island, uh, we would have to have uh, um, a, a digital ID card, identification card, which is something that this this island is not 
planning, as far as we know, to introduce. So their system, well, while it works, works it, it, it cannot be just copy and pasted into the island environment. One of the, well, the, the first two of your recommendations talk about constituency size and then the, the thorny recommendation, the one which is most likely to result in some members at least uh, raising concerns, is in relation to changes to two, um, well, it'll be four constituencies, one that uh, will need to mm. be changed. Um, why have you picked on this uh, 15% um Presumably, it's a fifteen percent plus or minus um, yeah, constituency size. Why? Why? Why is that figure used? Fifteen um, percent is uh, the guide, the absolute maximum guideline international standard. Um, that the purpose of fifteen percent enables us to have sufficient flexibility to enable uh, community boundaries to be taken into account because the Isle of Man is relatively small. Um, the, in the UK, it's only 5%. So if about if a population goes over or under 5%, then the Electoral Commission in the UK apparently will just move the boundary and it doesn't have to go to Parliament, as far as I understand, and, and it will just be changed. Um, we are mindful of the effect on communities and we didn't want to make... Uh, as, well, we wanted to make as few changes as uh, as, as was possible uh, to ensure that there is stability because one of the things that uh, ha- has been said to us is that, well, I, I didn't know that I'd moved constituency, etc. So if we were moving them backwards and forwards all the time, um, then I think we'd get more complaints. Um, but uh, really uh, what we wanted to do was to have... Um, uh, to take into account the communities, but we have to use the, inter- the maximum standard set uh, by international commissions um, as being the, the, the most that we can do. So there were two constituencies, um, Ramsey and, um, and basically uh, Glen Faber and Peel, that were over the um, 115%, and uh, next to them are constituencies which were quite significantly under the the average which is obviously a hundred percent so it it became necessary that we would need to move those uh, boundaries to take into account the changes in the population that had occurred um so this is going to happen you know whenever there are are changes and we took advice from the planning policy unit as well as to where there were likely to be changes and i think really it's it's a a factor that is going to come up uh, probably by the next boundary review uh, well certainly by the next boundary review um and one of our our i don't think it's down as a recommendation but our suggestions is that the the that the governor in council who appoints the electoral commission might consider if there have been changes between now and the next after the next election 2026 that possibly another electoral commission could be um, appointed to look into this and as long as the principles of equality and equivalency apply um, again it could be that uh, our our members of of Tinwald might say well uh, yes, 12 twos was fine as an interim stage, but now perhaps we should be looking at a different uh, combination. Um, when we 
took evidence this time, just about everybody said, uh, well, not everybody, but a lot. Most people said uh, that they what, that the twelve two system worked for them. Most of of the MHKs did. Um, it may be that uh, larger constituencies with more members in might be a suitable. Um, compromise that might take into account a r rural and town um, and I don't think these are beyond the wit of 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 us as as uh, or of our politicians to devise a system that is fair across the board taking into account the interests of both the country and the town which inevitably if you had a bigger if you had bigger constituencies bigger sized constituencies would would occur so um i think it could be that tinwald next time whenever it does appoint another electoral commission might want to to direct the the uh, commission to consider whether a larger constituency size would be better um with more mhks and you could poss possibly have say two mhks dealing with constituency matters and two dealing with more international policy matters um as um, it must be very difficult for an MHK, particularly if they're a minister, to be able to deal with their constituency matters uh, at the same time. So it's I think the way we see it is that this is a direction of travel. We are in an evolving process. And I would say that we're very proud and privileged to have been able to put forward some suggestions that may assist in in that evolving process. I don't think we'll ever get it completely right but I think we we are certainly uh, both looking at the principles of fairness of equality equivalency and in particularly in this report we're looking at the principle uh, relating to accessibility and encouraging people to take up their privilege of um, of being able to vote on the island uh, and Nigel I mean should MHKs be deciding what their constituencies should look like or should this be really a, a step taken outside of uh, the whole uh, political uh, debate? Well, that's not not a topic that the um, Electoral Commission has actually been tasked to look at. Um, you know, if you wanted to be absolutely uh, uh, free and fair, I guess, they shouldn't be deciding on where these, these, these uh, boundaries or how many they're uh, constituencies are uh, but uh, the way it is it is uh, set up at the moment that is they're going to be voting Cause, on this because the same sort of applies in relation to the returning officer so the returning officer of the Isle of Man is the chief secretary or, yes. or what, whatever the chief secretary is now called uh, is it chief operating officer or chief executive um, mm. and that is effectively someone who is working very closely with a small team of mm of the keys which is effectively council of ministers and then come election time he has to be completely neutral mm. uh, forget about the relationships that he's developed um over the uh, the preceding five years and then can conduct uh, a free and fair election well he does effectively delegate those the the operation to the deputy returning officers um I do see that that there is some there needs to be separation of powers, and I think that the appointment of an independent electoral commission is an important part of that. Um, we 
of course, took evidence from any MHK or MLC who wished to give us um, give us evidence. And we had a, basically a framework of questions that we went through with them to find out what the, the points were. that. So they raised particular points that had happened to them in the election or points they wanted to make, but also they followed the questions that we uh, were asking we wanted to get evidence about. So at the moment, I would say, well, certainly we are a very independent commission. Uh, we uh, have had the benefit of uh, using the some of the staff of um, the Cabinet Office, which has been very welcome, and they've, I'd have to give a shout out to them. Thank you very much to uh, Frank and his team, uh, because they've been able to direct us to information that we've uh, we've looked at and we've obviously done our own research but it, it, it is it's a it's a very um interesting and evolving area the nature of democracy um and democracy is under threat all over the world at the moment so you know i feel proud that we're able to stand up for it in the isle of man one of the recommendations is for the clerk of tinmold's office to promote electoral awareness. Um, now, I wonder whether you could explain a little bit more what you mean by that. Well, turnout um, is on decline, is in, is in decline. And I think turnout in 2016 was around 52%, and we're about two percentage points down. We're around about 50, just over 50% now. This is not unusual. This is happening. This is a trend that's happening across... Uh, the world where uh, elections are taking place. So we, we we wanted to understand, is there something that we could recommend that would ha hopefully reverse that trend? So we spoke to the Department of Education, Sport and Culture, to see what they're doing. They're very active in primary and secondary schools, uh, assemblies about the Manx political system, uh, electoral process and that stuff. Um, also, we spoke to the clerk of Tinwall's office, whose ultimate responsibility is to promote the awareness of of the history and the uh, uh, of, of the island and and, and the, the Manx political system, and they are also uh, being very active. Um, the question is, will that translate into something in bigger turnout into 2026? We'll 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 have to find out. But we did identify, having spoken uh, to them and. Uh, others that there is an opportunity around new residents, people are arriving on the island, and the, the makeup of the island has changed considerably since 2016. Uh, ten, today, 10% 10 of the island is uh, not born on the island man or in the UK or an island, so they're from outside, I mean, you know, the proximity of the island, therefore have come, no doubt, from diff diff different political systems, difficult different electoral processes and they don't necessarily understand their their right to vote or how to vote uh, there are no political parties here many are independent candidates what does that mean how do people make decisions without a political manifesto um, they these people and, and there's people who don't speak the language or they speak it as a second language uh, we, we did we visited cafe lingo uh, and out of 10 people who understood they had the right to vote only two out of those 10 actually registered. Okay, so there is an opportunity to bring this community, this newcomers community, into the political process and get enfranchised. So 
there, one of our recommendations, I believe it's a recommendation or a suggestion at least, that we invest more money or have find a resource to uh, invest in educating, uh, carry on educating children and others, but also uh, new residents and uh, people with a UK, uh, English as a second language, into uh, franchisement. Yeah, and of course, it's not just people from further afield, even if you came from the UK, um, where you have political parties, um, very defined political parties and very divergent views, um, you don't find that on the Isle of Man um, as, a, as a body. Uh, we do have political parties, but they don't necessarily follow what the UK political parties mean. And um, so anybody coming to the island would, I think, I would challenge anybody to come here and understand immediately what the, the the political system is. And for that reason, I think we it's not surprising that the turnout from perhaps newer residents is likely to be um, lower. And so we don't want to we want to include as many people as possible. So we're encouraging people to register to vote and that's a relatively straightforward uh, technological development because so people can register to vote online um, and they can also register, they can also apply online for, uh, or we're, we're able to devise a, an online application for postal voting. So um, those things I'm hoping, or we are hoping, will make it more accessible um, to people who are not familiar with our particular unique type of system. And, of course, we, we also have local authority elections. Um, presumably your your commission doesn't go as far as, as looking at, at that. No, no. Um, we've kept out of local authority elections. That's a, a bit of a, a more thorny subject. But I dare say, you know, that some of the particular uh, principles, well the principles should apply across the board uh, we haven't looked specifically at local authorities but it could be that a future commission might consider how the principles could apply to local authorities and, and representation within local authorities so um, you know really if we can set out principles and guidelines that can be make the whole system better uh, that's what we want to do well, we've almost reached the end of the programme, believe it or not. Um, are you reasonably confident that Timwald is just going to look at your report and say, these are excellent recommendations <laughs> and yes, of course we'll support them? Or, or um, do you think there may be some uh, challenge? Well, it's been reported um, in the press that there's going to be challenge. You know, Timwald needs to be mindful of its reputation on the international stage um, and the the principles that are already set down. We have two meetings with members to explain our position and they can ask questions. I would hope that they would agree with us that these are sensible and uh, useful recommendations and are necess the, the changes that we are pr proposing are necessary for the maintenance of our good standing in, in the world. And I suppose then final word to you, Nigel. I, I mean, it's hard to argue with uh, meeting international standards when it comes to elections, is it? 
I, I completely agree with what Sally said. I mean, we, we have a, a reputation in the free world, democratic world, uh, and we, need to, we, we signed up to that in the previous uh, Boundary Re Review Committee in December of 2011 uh, uh, to these principles, uh, equality and equivalency. Uh, these are international standards, and we should keep, keep them in place, in my view. Should MHKs make decisions about the size of their constituencies? With just under half the voting age population not bothering to vote, should we be looking at much bolder steps in relation to Key's elections? 